Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton and joining me today, the one, the only, my friend, my neighbor, my colleague, my frenemy, Mr. Mark Daly. Mr. Daly, how the heck are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm going to be totally the friend of me tonight because I, I I know I didn't tell you that you could go ahead and intro the show. So I, I, I'm I'm not editing out that chuckle because how can we how can we not start the show on such a jolly note? Because Purely we don't we know so the authentic. people love happy Mark Hamilton. So I'm not going <laughs> to take that away from the people. I'm so happy. So let me tell you a story. So again, okay. our listeners are dropping off by the droves. But a couple of weeks ago, and I think I told everyone that on uh, January 28th, we're dr- doing the four and a half hour trip down yep. to Portland, do the drive down, see an NBA game. My son's super excited, his first NBA experience. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I saw a contest on Twitter, a Toronto Raptors contest on Twitter. And to enter, you just had to send a photo of your family bonding over basketball. And I had this photo for my son's birthday party where he and I were wearing NBA jerseys. So I entered this contest. I get this email this morning that we've won this all expenses paid trip to Toronto to sit in one of the luxury boxes on January 21st to see the Raptors play the the Boston Celtics. So on back to back weekends, yeah, man, totally. So on back to back weekends in January, we're going to be in Toronto one weekend to see the Raptors play the Celtics. And then the week after that, we're going to be in Portland to see the Raptors play the the Trailblazers. So man, that so that's is why, so cool. That's that is why so I'm in a cool. good mood. But all I'm, of that aside, all of that aside, I'm man, just full of jealous envy right <laughs> here. But <laughs> at the same time, dude, that is amazing. That is very, very cool. I, I mean, that's going to be such that. an incredible, uh, incredible experience. And I know that uh, you're a little guy who's crazy about like basketball. I mean, that's that's going to be something regardless of the age that he's at. Now he'll remember that the rest of his life. That is fantastic. I'm so yeah, happy I'll, to hear that. That is I'll never let wonderful. him forget about it. And uh, what was I going to say? Oh, Toronto. By the way, Toronto, one of the greatest cities in the world. Not somewhere that I would usually plan to visit in the middle of January. (laughs) (laughs) But if if the Toronto Raptors and Dove, Unilever, who was the contest sponsors, if they're willing to send me, I am not going to turn down the trip. But dude, we woke this morning. We had a flurry of text messages from from Mr. Tim Haraney as he was about to break a big story that I'm going to tease, but I don't want to get into because we'll probably get there after the first break, kind of keep people around. But what a great way to wake up today. We were talking about, we were alluding to this. We were speaking to the fact last show that the FIA was going to start start accepting expressions of interest for new teams to join the grid. And boy, did that happen in a big way today. But I feel like we should leave that as a tease and kind of go uh, go through the laundry list of things that we typically do to open a show. Well, talking about teases, like when you're in TO in a couple of weeks, are you going to chill at Drake's pad or is that, is, is that on or is that to be determined? 
Well, he's out of town, but he's going to leave okay. us a key under the, the welcome mat by the pool house. <laughs> sure. So okay. we'll just go in. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll have we'll have the run of the place. We'll have the run of place. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, or I didn't, if you've never noticed, but uh, Drake's yeah. place was actually an architectural digest a couple of yes. years ago. I still have the issue. Amazing. Oh, that Amazing. place is just fire, man. I would love to have been the the surveyor, the builder, the contractor. I just would have loved to have been involved with that project in some way. I'd been able to say, like, I was involved with the Drake Mansion in Forest Hills. <laughs> I, m- more to the point, I would much rather be the person with the financial uh, muscle to be the owner yeah, of the yeah. Drake Mansion, but, you know, at least I would have liked to be, yeah, I'm the guy that dropped off something there you know just to, even it's like something completely irrelevant and completely unimportant but that's i was cool, the ups man. driver i dropped off his <laughs> latest pair of kicks but the other crazy thing too dude is like his house is huge it has a full-size regulation basketball court in it and i've always yep. said and i've always warned my wife that if we were to become multi-multi-millionaires i would do everything in my power to buy a formula one car and have it housed in the house like there's a there's a formula one fan in winnipeg actually that has an old williams car in a wow. room that was custom built in his mansion but i would definitely having a wing having a side pod having a front wing having a wheel as a coffee table that's not enough for me even if it doesn't have the engine i would want a previously used formula one car in my house yeah the uh, the one person that's probably not enviable uh, when it comes to like copying in in most regards would be uh, bernie ecclestone but did he not have like a a car in his office in some sort yeah. of like big custom built case or something like that totally i've seen the yeah. photos float around I, i've never been able to verify that it's, which car it was or it was I, I don't Ferrari, remember right i feel like i think so Ferrari. i yeah. i i think it was yeah yeah, I, I'd like to to be able to, to to pull that off, but like I say, I mean that's about the only thing I would like to emulate Bertie Ecclestone in. So there you go. Anyways, moving along to like you say the uh, the laundry list of things. Of course, um, this is the usual time for our race weekend uh, promotion, theraceweekend.com, and that is a t h e r a c e w k n d dot com. Enter in our uh, promotion code uh, Scuderia Pod to receive that ten percent off. Fifty fourth birthday today for the one and only seven-time world champion not lewis hamilton but the one and only michael schumacher 50 days until drive to survive season three drops on netflix 61 days until the first grand prix of 2023 and if you're not subscribed to lily herman's engine failure newsletter shame on you because you are missing out something each and every week especially today's today's brilliant yes especially for you and i because we've worked in and we've been around the media we've been credentialed we've covered international sports and team sports etc etc today's issue was an absolute banger as she dissected the media landscape as it revolves around formula one i put up a tweet a little bit earlier today if you haven't subscribed i highly recommend you do again hit up our twitter feed there's a link there you can subscribe uh she also has a she also has a paid iteration available now and i i'm guilty of not having contributed yet but i absolutely should do so because she put some serious work in these five, seven, ten thousand word weekly engine failure newsletters, and they are amazing. And the other quick point here as well 
Sam Cooper, uh, famous, of course, from Planet F1. He's a writer, journalist over at Planet F1, which, of course, was popularized through Drive to Survive last year as they got quite a lot of exposure. That show, Sam Cooper, is going to be joining me on Sunday morning. We're going to sit down and do the first interview series podcast of 2023. Probably get that one dropped Monday, so you've got an extra episode to keep you busy between this one and our weekly news show next week. And then finally, and I know you're very, very, very excited about this, but we revealed, we revealed, this is public knowledge and anyone can find it on Reddit or Twitter. <laughs> but we talked last show about the fact that three teams have already announced their dates. That is up to four. Alpha Tauri will be revealing their car on February 11th, Aston Martin February 13th, Ferrari on February 14th, and Alpine on, I think, February 16th. Although I wrote 6th, I think it is February 16th. Yeah, you could be right there. I just want to jump in here for a second. Hammy Marshall just checked in on the uh, the YouTube uh, live stream. Despite it being half past midnight Eastern uh, time, so appreciate Marshall checking in uh, quite uh, briefly. But uh, he was just saying that uh, there's a guy in TO has one of uh, Senna's 1987 uh, Lotus um, Hondas up on the wall in his uh, mansion, and that's the one that's sort of that that goldy yellow camel cigarette coloring so that's pretty incredible to, to, to have Absolute that that history is history to have on your yeah. wall yeah yeah you know i always thought that was an interesting color for a car i mean it's not really gold it's not really yellow it was a very very unique color scheme and sort of like the navy blue uh decals all over the place that would be very very cool a very iconic uh, car all right moving along as usual you've dug up a, a very cool stat to, to share with uh, with everyone and this is uh from f1 stats uh, guru and this is the lowest and highest pole to win conversion rates based on a minimum of 10 poles so we'll start on the uh, the lowest side which uh, includes a uh, roster of drivers including uh Rene Arnoux, David Coulthard, Nelson Piquet, uh, Ronnie Peterson, Charles Leclerc, and Juan Pablo Montoya. So Rene Arnoux had the lowest pole to win conversion rates at 11.11%. Coulthard's was 16.67%. Nelson Piquet, despite being a multiple world champion, had 20.83% in his pole to win conversion rates. Ronnie Peterson, 21.43%. Charles Leclerc, uh, not getting that one out easy this evening. Charles Leclerc. <laughs> Claire, despite being one of the hottest young properties in Formula One over the past uh, several years, has only been able to convert 22% of his polls to wins, and Juan Pablo Montoya uh, just slightly better at 23.08. Now, on the flip side, the highest of uh, conversion rates includes Alain Prost, Michael Schumacher, Lewis Hamilton, Fernando Alonso, Alberto Ascari, and Max Verstappen. So some pretty pretty impressive names. That's a, a pretty elite and exclusive club of Formula One drivers. Anyways, Max is Alain, 75%. 75% I know, isn't that crazy? Pull to well, win conversion ratio. But I mean, he's miles ahead of everyone else. So, so let's just set it up and work do from it, bottom to top. Alan Prost, fifty-four and a half percent. Michael Schumacher, fifty-eight point sorry, fifty-eight point eight percent. Lewis at fifty-nine point two percent. Fernando, sixty-three point six percent. That's an incredible number right there for Fernando. The the one, the only, the great Alberto Ascari. His pull to win uh, ratio was sixty-four point three percent. But Max Verstappen at seventy-five percent. That is mind blowing. I, I mean, I, I can. I mean, that's 
you see those guys in the middle that are somewhat kind of like compressed. You go like Shumi to Ascari with you have like six, seven percent uh, between them. But Max, you know, that much further ahead of everyone else, that is just uh, wow. That's all I can say. That's just uh, that's amazing. Okay, uh, going on to listener questions now. First of all, we have one, and this one is uh, for you. This is uh, from uh, Ali. Hey guys, question for Hammy. Did you have any success getting your money back after the uh, Vancouver Formula E race was canceled? Great job with the show. I tune in every single week from Iraq. Wow, that's cool. Checking in all the way from Iraq. Well, thank you very much uh, for the question, Ali. And thank you for listening every week. That's the one thing I love about this show is that, you know, we have people that check in from all four corners of the globe. And I think it's absolutely fantastic. Anyways, did you want to answer that question? Uh, yeah, from, so from the Ali? simple answer, by the way, first of all, thank you for listening. Thank you for following finding us. Thank you for the support. No, absolutely not. And it's incredibly frustrating. So to kind of back this up, for those of you that don't know, a couple of years ago, the FIA sanctioned a Formula E race in the city of Vancouver, where we live. And the race was going to be hosted over Canada Day weekend. It was very exciting. People were super enthused about this. It was the first time we'd have a major motorsports event in the city since Indy left back in 2004 was the last time I think we had a car race. Oh, man, it's been that long? Yeah. Yeah, So my wife and I put down the $800. Our friends put down money. I have friends that spent two to $3,000 on tickets. And you and I were sitting here about a year ago and kind of off the air, we're like, we know where this race is supposed to happen downtown on public roads. I don't see this happening. And ultimately the, the race was pulled. The FIA basically got wind of how far they were behind in planning and development. They pulled the race and then the city walked away and said, basically the race organizers have no right to host this race and we don't want to work with them again. But the problem <laughs> is the FIA said, well, guess what? We're going to cancel this race, but the race organizers who are the ones that collected the money for the tickets that they were selling kind of on our behalf, they'll refund your money. And they vanished from the face of the planet. So 30,000 plus ticket buyers have not had their money back. And the FIA just keeps pointing their fingers at the race organizers and the race organizers have vanished. And what's really crazy about the race organizers is all all the folks that have bought their tickets, they all bought them with credit cards. They're trying to press their credit cards in their banks for chargebacks because they basically paid for a service that was never rendered. But this company that's vanished off the face of the planet, they're fighting back saying the race was never canceled. It was only postponed. And therefore, we do not have to refund. So some hmm. people have had some success with their banks, but ultimately this phantom vapor ghost of a company that stole all this money is somehow still fighting back. The general consensus at this point is that the money's gone and no one's going to get their 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 refunds but for me the frustration point is you know as the FIA you you sanctioned this race you presumably you do did your due diligence that people were mm-hmm. buying tickets to a formula e an FIA formula e event like where's your accountability in this man so you yeah we think so right so yeah, we're not going to get our money back. Um, we would we'd hope to use that money, parlay that money into a Formula One race this year. Without the eight hundred bucks, the thousand bucks, that's a non-starter for us. So so yeah, just unfortunately, and I feel bad for all the motorsports fans in the city that got burned by the FIA. Yeah, but was there not like a, a local law firm that had uh, launched yeah. a class action lawsuit on behalf of the ticket buyers? Watching that you know, very people like yourself. Is, is there has there been any development other than not was yet. they were they just trying to get people interested to exactly. to join the class action lawsuit? Okay, well I guess that's uh, what are these things? Uh, watch this space. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for the question, uh, Ali. Uh, next one comes from uh, Jason. Uh, with this uh, variance of success of uh, Red Bull versus Alpha Tauri, can we put to rest that Alpha Tauri is? Living off Red Bull's research, 
that's an interesting one. I mean, obviously they got the same uh, power unit in the back of the car, but I, I feel that uh, just from the fact that you have one of these teams um, based in Italy, the other one uh, based in Milton Keynes in the United Kingdom, that there is some separation, but there was, you know, that, that delta between these two teams has certainly... <clears throat> excuse me, uh, grown over the past year or so, I would suggest. I mean, they they certainly, AlphaTauri, that is, certainly didn't have as good of a 2022 as they did as a 2021. What do you, what do you think, Amy? Yeah, I love this question because I'm one of the biggest advocates for forcing a sale of, of the AlphaTauri team. I've said this so many times, like, we have 10 teams in the world. Why are two teams owned by the same corporate governing body? It's it's absurd. And, and to be fair, like, if you look at the F ones or the FIA F1's 2022 parts categories it's much much more there's far less there's far less benefit to being effectively a B team on the grid in terms of the expertise and part sharing that can be passed down from one team to another ultimately the biggest most important component of the car aside from the power unit is sorry my mic kind of flipped around on me there but the single most important component of the car aside from the power unit is the chassis and for many many years the chassis have to be developed independently of one another so it's not like red bull is passing down the chassis to alpha tower they're having to develop that internally um as far as listed team components and things like that, clearly they buy, they acquire whatever they can from, from Red Bull, or they use common shared suppliers for the other pieces. And obviously they're using the same Honda power unit. I think it's less about the expertise and componentry that's being passed from one team to another, but the perception of the team orders that may not so discreetly exist between the two teams that, hey, if there's a moment where an Alpha Tauri can do something on the track to aid a Red Bull driver, are they going to do that? And we know that in the in the heat of a race, Christian Horner cannot get on the horn or deliver, cannot deliver team orders to Alpha Tauri. That's strictly prohibited. But there's absolutely nothing stopping those two guys from sitting down over coffee on a Friday and strategizing how things could play out on Sunday at a Grand Prix. And I'm not saying that has happened. I'm not saying it does happen, but there's nothing stopping it from happening. So the perception alone is damaging enough for F1. And as we're going to discuss in a couple of minutes, there's so many companies now that want to get into F1. This is an F1 in 2016 where the FIA and F1 were scrambling to find entrance to get onto the grid. This isn't 2010 when you had all the OEMs like BMW and Toyota and Honda exiting the sport. This is 2022, 23, when there's a ton, a host of suppliers and OEMs that want to be involved with the sport. So now's the time to make a switch. And to be fair, Red Bull could make a killing selling this team to Honda or to a different uh, potential works works maker. Okay, uh, moving on to the next one, uh, Mark, and there's a page break here in the show notes. So it goes from one to three. So I don't know if there was something else in between. Yeah, is this still from Jason had four great questions. So yeah. Jason had four great questions, but I narrowed them down to the two yep. that I thought we were competent enough to at least try. <laughs> okay, I just want to make sure I credited the right person in reading this one out. So uh, anyways, uh, Jason's next question is, uh, Matteo Bonato may still be running Ferrari and probably should be, but the broken relationship was uh, with Leclerc was his undoing. Ferrari's hire is uh, clearly geared towards appeasing Charles and probably at least partially orchestrated by his management. 
Great point. That is a really, really great point. I mean, as as we were just talking about in, the, in that uh, that previous um, segment here with that one um, polls to win ratio, Charles Leclerc, despite being one of the hottest drivers in Formula One at the moment and has been for several years, coming at like twenty two percent for a poll to win ratio for a guy that's arguably driving for a top team, to me is 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 a shocking stat because he didn't record any of those pole positions earn those pole positions in that single year that he was driving for for Sauber which obviously would have been under the uh, the supervision of uh, Fred Vasseur who is now the replacement for Mattia Bonato at Ferrari so that's where Jason's going with this but you know it, it it's an ongoing thing this just uh, th- this just has hasn't happened but i mean those stories that Charles and Mattia Bonato had not spoken to each other after Silverstone last July, I mean that is that that's just I I just don't know how that how that even works. It's just like are they like standing there like in the garage and Charles is on one side and Matias on another side and Carlos is in the in the middle and Matias says Carlos tell Charles that we're going to be running plan A this weekend. And then Carlos says, Matias says we're going to be going with plan A this weekend. And then Charles says, yes, Carlos, that's <laughs> great. But could you tell Matia that I really think we should go with plan B? And then Carlos says, Matia, anyways, you get the, you, you get the picture. I just don't, it just seems so unbelievable and almost juvenile that said uh, that, that, that relationship could be that fractured that these two guys had not, you know, reportedly had not spoken to each other in that amount of time. I mean, there, there was obviously friction and frustration. You, you could understand why Charles would be upset, but wow, I don't know. But I, I think what, sorry. It, what it certainly does, it, it certainly speaks to, and I actually, this is, of all the different theories and kind of impressions that people have had of the Bonato exit from that team, and we also discovered that Ferrari was actively recruiting a new team principal last summer, so this wasn't a surprise. Yeah. And as we discussed before, Bonato really jumped before he was pushed off the edge by resigning from this team. But I have to think, because sometimes where there's smoke, there's fire, that his lack of a relationship that you just described with Charles Leclerc is probably a big part of this. And of course, Charles Leclerc coming to the end of that big three-year deal, his management team may have been very clear. They may have gone directly to John Elkan and Vigna, the senior leadership at the Ferrari mm-hmm. group, and basically said, look, you know, we're not going to consider re-signing here if this is the gentleman that's still leading this organization. Uh, and I have to think that that's a big part of it. And we see this in sports everywhere. We see this in professional club football throughout Europe, and we certainly see it in North American professional sports where star players are often able to to leverage their star power and get general managers fired and head coaches fired and I think this is no different and obviously in this case mm-hmm. the the hiring of uh the former Sauber team principal to take over the incredibly complex and massive project that is Ferrari was probably in no part due to the fact that he had a longstanding yeah. and healthy relationship with Charles Leclerc. Yeah. You, you know, the only person that uh, can't pull that off and flex on that, you know, that that reputation and that, uh, you know, that position, that standing is 2022 Cristiano Ronaldo. Well, you know, <laughs> Lionel Messi is getting all these accolades, winning the World Cup and is arguably now a lock for the, the the goat when it comes to soccer, Cristiano Ronaldo somewhat disappeared, somewhat 
uneventfully before before yeah. we sign off for the end of the yeah. show so at the very end of the show um and it'll still be like special extra content if anyone wants it can you explain to me what happened with ronaldo at manchester no way like at the very end of the Dude, show i would love to but you can't throw that on me and also like i'm gonna jump ahead here in the in the show notes because we're gonna try and have another crack at the whole honda red bull thing like the whole <laughs> the whole ronaldo <laughs> man united thing is like the soccer equivalent of the red bull honda formula one exit i don't i'd love to i just don't know if i've got the brain power or the iq to explain both of them in one show okay we'll save that for a special special yeah podcast. exactly oh yeah we probably need it anyways yeah you know just to, to, to wrap up jason's question there i i think that uh absolutely that uh very much like you say i think that uh there was a lot of influence uh, with uh charles and his management team uh with uh with the senior brass at uh, ferrari anyways uh, i want to take a quick break here we're going to come back on the flip side still a couple more emails to get to a couple of questions then we're going to dive right into the news and we're going to talk about andretti motorsports and what they are up to and we'll do that in just a moment, so don't go away. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, welcome back to the podcast. As always, up to speed with Formula One, Mark Daly, Mark Hamilton here. Next question comes from Samantha. Hi, Mark Squared, huge fan of the show. I'm part of Gen DTS and proud of it. I went to my first Grand Prix last year in Austin and will be going to Miami in a few months. Oh my God, I'm really jealous about that. Anyway, Samantha goes on to say, I cannot get enough of motorsports. Are there any other championships that I should check out? I listen to you every day during my commute here in Dallas. Keep up the great work. Wow, Dallas checking in now. Coming from everywhere tonight. This is really cool. Um, you know, one one thing I would love to go, I'd, you know, and you know, maybe from Dallas or anywhere in North America, maybe Indianapolis isn't the most, you know, far away exotic destination. But for me, that's like for for motorsports, I've always wanted to go to the Indy 500. When it comes to Formula One, I've always wanted to go to Monza. That's uh, definitely uh on my 
my list. Um, I'd also like to go to the Japanese Grand Prix. Like I've been to Fuji, but not for a race. I'd uh, love to go and watch a, a race at uh, Suzuka. I mean, I'm just I'm in love with Japan and the culture and the history and everything. So to combine my love of uh, you know the the country and the people and and just Japan in general and combine that with the Japanese Grand Prix would be uh, would be fantastic. I mean, some of the other ones I don't know how uh, spectator friendly it would be. I'd love to go and see the TT at the Isle of Man. I mean, that is just one of those wild and crazy things I think you just have to see in person, even though I don't really know if there's anywhere that you could really get a good uh, vantage point. Anything anything rally-related. Um, about 20 years ago, uh, when they were trying to get Rally Deutschland onto the uh, under the circuit, they, they had like kind of a dry run the year before. And that's when I was living over in Europe and uh, some friends of mine and I, we went for a day because it was only like a three or four hour drive. And uh, we went to go and check that out. And that was really cool, you know, to get right up uh, close to the cars and probably somewhat dangerous. I don't know if you can still do the same at a rally race, but those are just a couple that uh, immediately spring to mind. What about uh, what about you, Hammy? What uh, what recommendations do you yeah. have? Samantha, love the question. I think I think if you're looking for a new championship, like an all new series to check out, I think I would be doing North American motorsports a disservice if I didn't say Indy. I think. Indy is a great championship, yeah. and I think the parity makes it a whole lot of fun. You've, you've only got the two power unit manufacturers in Chevy and Honda, but the races are super unpredictable. Yep. You get a ton of different winners every year, and you don't have repeat champions like you do so frequently in Formula One. And then the other one, and, and I, obviously I, I say this because it's my favorite championship of all, my favorite motorsport of all, but is MotoGP yeah. is, I just believe, the single best uh, motorsports championship on the planet this year as we're going to talk about a little bit at the end of the show i think is going to be a little bit more challenging because they're asking a lot of their fans with a 21 race calendar and a and a sprint race every single weekend and they're certainly asking a lot of their riders but it is uh to me, the best pure racing series on the planet. Yeah. Another reason for me to go to India is that we actually have family that live about an hour away and we haven't been down there to visit them, even though they come and visit us fairly regularly. So, you know, it should be somewhat, uh, some, somewhat, you know, repay the, uh, repay the, uh, you know, family kindness or whatever you want to call it but yeah cool all right next one going on to Layla uh thank you both for reading my question on the air last week it meant so much to me that I have a follow-up a few days ago the race posted a YouTube uh, video about the Red Bull Honda conspiracy theory according to Scott Mitchell Malm the conspiracy circulating is this Red Bull and Honda have gamed the system by getting an engine freeze agreed under false pretenses and are either reaping the rewards now or will later as Mitchell Malm states this conspiracy only quote-unquote works if you honestly believe that Honda never had any intentions of leaving uh, Formula One and never really did. Honda announced in 2020 that they were leaving Formula One, but are still very much here. What are your thoughts? I love it. Conspiracy theory. Let me go and get my tinfoil hat, and then we'll we'll <laughs> dive into you know like the maybe the the Apollo moon landing conspiracy. You know that that you know if I don't want to talk about like the whole Ronaldo thing and this one, you know we we should get into some fringier discussions like the moon landing alleged moon landing hoax, which you know is kind of crazy. Anyways, yeah, this is an interesting one, right? And I I think the whole crux of this uh, discussion. Discussion is just like um, Layla puts in the in her, in her message there that it really comes to the intentions of Honda. Did they really intend to leave Formula One and never really did? So, so that's for me. You know, is that it? 
did they ever leave or want to leave or was it all just a sleight of hand? And we, we should uh, maybe uh, repost uh, or you know, throw that into our Twitter feed because it's about a 10 minute video. And it, it's, yeah, really it's really interesting good. because, you know, Scott, he goes through everything like this happened, that happened. And, you know, to believe this and let's try and debunk that or look at it a different angle. It really, really is interesting, but it, I, I I don't know. And and that really remains to be proved. I mean, we can kind of sit here on the, the outside and, and speculate about it, like what Honda's intentions are, but until that's proved or disproved, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of still sitting on the fence about it because we, we just don't have that insight. We're, we're not sitting in the boardroom at Milton Keynes. We're not sitting in at Honda HQ in Tokyo. So we, we don't really know what the, what was this just a way to kind of find a loophole in the regs. And of course, that's what the, the, the accusers will uh, throw it, uh, you know, towards Honda and, and Red Bull. So I, I don't know. I thought it was a very, very interesting video. I think it was very well researched. I thought it was very well presented, but I, I still find myself unconvinced either way you know i i hate to be a fence sitter in this case but i i just don't know where to take this one yet i still don't after all these months and probably years now right yeah if you back this up to october 2020 honda announced they were leaving formula one and in a way that was kind of gonna leave that was kind of gonna or kind of going to leave uh, red bull high and dry because of course honda was their their power unit supplier and honda's commitment at that point i think was that hey we're going to supply you with engines for 2021 then we're going to kind of walk away and and i think red bull was really frustrated or surprised or disappointed because they felt that they and honda had got that power unit in a really good place and what everyone had been expecting at that point was that hey in 2025 or 2026 we were going to have a new power unit formula and probably in 2023 2023 we were going to have an engine freeze and what red bull had managed to do was negotiate with the other teams to move that engine freeze up by a year and the reason that worked really well for red bull was it meant that hey we have one more year with honda honda's going to be here continuing to fine tune and develop that engine right up to the point of the freeze which meant that they would go into that 2022 3 4 5 period where engine development was effectively frozen with the most up to date modern iteration of that honda power unit that they could possibly have now if the engine freeze had happened in 2023 like it was originally planned well there would have been a year of a gap where all of a sudden Red Bull would have been rocking an engine that had one year of less development than everyone else on the grid, or they would have been forced back into the loving embrace of Renault where they had no intention of ever wanting to go again. So the conspiracy, of course, is that Honda said they were exiting. Red Bull used that to negotiate with everyone to move back the 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 engine freeze, which okay, everyone agreed to. Like they they weren't strong armed into this, and then of course it parlayed into a whole bunch of additional benefits. Ultimately, I don't think there is a conspiracy, but I think the circumstances played out perfectly for Red Bull because Red Bull was ultimately able to kind of keep Honda in the loop. And remember, there was a point where from twenty two onwards. Red Bull powertrains were supposed to be building the power units using the IP and the blueprint provided by Honda, and Honda was supposed to be gone. And ultimately, that that agreement transitioned into something different, which was HRC, Honda Racing Corporation, would continue to build the power units and continue to feed them to Red Bull right through to the end of 2025. And that's kind of where we are now. But now, all of a sudden, there's this question about, well, if Red Bull powertrains is still using Honda engines now and the Honda stickers back on the car, did Honda really leave? And then 
And furthermore, Red Bull is planning to enter as a new power unit constructor for 2026, which means they're going to get a ton of concessions, more dyno time, more money to spend on the development of that engine. Well, how much of their expertise are they lifting from the Honda units that they're using today? And are they really going to be a new engine supplier? And furthermore, if Honda comes back in 2026, independent of Red Bull, are they going to get concessions themselves as a new manufacturer where they never really left the sport? And all of this is upsetting a lot of people within the paddock, including Ferrari. And we'll kind of speak to that a little bit later. But I don't believe there's a grand conspiracy. I think things just happen to work out really really, really well for for Red Bull. And I don't think that Red Bull and Honda will be together in 26. I think Red Bull is going to develop that power unit on their own, and they're going to be able to sell the badge on that to Ford or Hyundai or some other OEM that wants to have some form of participation in the sport. But yeah, I don't think there is a, I don't think there's a grand conspiracy, but the video is great. It does a really great job of debunking the myths. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we move on, I just want to throw one other thing in here. Uh, Rocky in the live stream uh, just threw in um, uh, another destination for a motorsport uh, possibility for that uh, email from uh, Samantha, the message from her. Anyways, uh, Rocky says, I'd love to see the Goodwood Festival of Speed before hay bales are replaced with walls or horsepower is limited. So yeah, Goodwood Festival of Speed definitely would be a, a good one to, to go and check out. So thanks for that, uh, Rocky. Checking in from the beautiful state of Oregon. Okay, so now here we go, uh, 35 minutes into this one. You know, we throw the breaking news in you know, more than half an hour into the show when 95% of the people have already dropped off or fallen asleep. Anyways, so Adretti Global has now announced a partnership with GM Cadillac to pursue an opportunity to uh, participate and race in the FIA Formula One World Championship. Hammy, this is big, big news, don't you think? so big that we waited until 35 minutes into the show to I talk know. about it. But that is the ultimate tease. We're businessmen. We're podcasters and businessmen. <laughs> we had to keep, we had to lure people in, but this is absolutely huge. And you know what? As people listening to this podcast know, nobody has been a bigger supporter and advocate of getting Andretti on the grid than me. Actually, that's total BS because I have been a huge Andretti naysayer. I've been hugely <laughs> negative about their bid. But the one thing that I've always said is, look, if you want to be taken seriously by the FIA and possibly, and more importantly, if you want to be taken more seriously by F1, who ultimately needs to sign off on your admission to the championship as well, you need to bring something with you. And that something is a new manufacturer, a new OEM. And that is exactly what Michael Andretti and Andretti Global Motorsport have delivered today with the announcement that General Motors, one of the biggest global manufacturers on the planet, one of the biggest OEMs on the planet, are going to enter F1 under the Cadillac brand. And it's so funny because a couple of weeks ago, one of our really great listeners, and I'm not going to dox this person, but one of our really great listeners had reached out like, hey, look, I'm looking at getting an Audi. I'm get, looking at getting a Cadillac. And I was kind of like, you know, I really like the Audi. I like the German brands. He was looking at BMW, but he ultimately decided to go with Cadillac. And he sent me a photo and it was a beautiful car. And I messaged him today. I'm like, man, you picked the right car because now <laughs> Cadillac is going to be a part of this global motorsports party along with Audi and along with presumably Honda and and along with Renault and along with Ferrari and Mercedes like it's it's getting very OEM heavy which is super super exciting the one thing that i i would add that is very important to understand is that at least initially uh 
GM will not be supplying power units. And I think Andretti probably still wants to enter the championship pre-2026. They've always targeted 2024. When they enter the championship, it is going to be with a power unit from another manufacturer. And it will probably be Renault, who Andretti has already previously announced that they would like to work with. And of course, Renault has no customer teams today. And technically, they would be obligated to supply anyways, as, as long as Andretti was granted admission to the championship and they knocked on the door of the FIA. Renault's going to have to do that. But I think what's probably going to happen is at least initially for the first couple of years, they will buy Renault power units and brand them as a GM power unit, possibly so that GM can entertain the idea of getting on the grid with their own power unit for 27. So there will be very little technical involvement from the beginning from a GM perspective in that power unit. But again, this is still very, very exciting. Getting an OEM on the grid in any manner is is super, super exciting. And you have to wonder what this does to Ford because, of course, the rumors the last couple of months is that Ford wants to have some sort of commercial agreement with Red Bull. Red Bull is going to develop their own power unit, but Ford would love to stamp, would love to stamp their badge on that power unit and have a Ford Red Bull powertrains power unit. Like That would be something they would love to have. And maybe they're going to be even more motivated to do that because mm-hmm. their large American global competitor, General Motors, has officially announced that they are going to submit an expression of interest along with Andretti Global to join Formula One. So this is huge, huge, huge news. And they've also announced, of course, that they want this to be an all-American an all-American team. They're obviously looking at drivers. And, and Michael Andretti was asked about his interest in bringing Colton Herta. And of course, he mentioned that Colton's under contract to them through Indy. And that's probably likely going to be one of the drivers they would love to bring over. But very, very exciting. And I know our listeners have been huge, huge advocates kits and huge supporters of getting Andretti on the grid. And I think they're going to do for American motorsport what Haas never bothered to try doing, which is to represent American motorsports and the interests of American fans in a meaningful way. And also, let's be fair too. I mean, there's very few people or groups in the United States. Well, I mean, there's plenty of uh, groups that could, uh, uh, you know, I guess, feel the Formula One team. But what I'm thinking is that there's probably very few people that have the pull and the influence to bring along a major global brand like General Motors, like the Andretti's. I mean, there's not too many people like the Andretti's out there. I'm sure there's plenty of people like Gene Haas that would like to to feel the Formula One team. But I mean, the Andretti's certainly taking it to, to another level. So that that's fascinating. It's going to be huge. It's 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 a huge, huge announcement. And it's just funny because we, we just talked about on the last show with, with uh, the, uh, the the recent uh, tweet storm. Well, it wasn't really a tweet storm, but a series of tweets from FIA President uh, Mohammed Ben Suleim basically stated that they want to have this uh, process for expressions of interest. And literally days after that, the you know, Andretti's like um, jumps all over it. When I saw the news this morning from our good friend Tim Haraney, I was just like, this this is a big uh, this is a big story today. Very, 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 very cool. Okay. Moving along, so um, okay, well, we're sticking with this one. So Formula One says that the uh, obviously Andretti uh, entry still needs uh, approval, and uh, that uh, of course uh, will uh, you know it's it's not necessarily a slam dunk, but certainly they've uh, done everything that they can to uh, get that uh, that that entry approved. So it's going to be very very uh, interesting uh, moving forward to see how that uh, how that goes. 
Okay, moving along, uh, this is a, a bit of a, well, obviously a very sta- a sad story here, but rally driver YouTube star Ken Block uh, died uh, several days ago in a, a snowmobile accident uh, at the age of uh, just uh, 55, and uh, that was uh, you know just uh, really, really uh, shocking. Uh, so uh, in a statement uh, released by Hoonigan uh, Racing said, quote, Ken was a visionary, a pioneer, and an icon, and most importantly, a father and a husband. He will be incredibly missed. Please respect the family's privacy at this time while they grieve and quote so apparently uh, it happened a couple of days ago when uh, he was uh, riding a snowmobile down a steep slope in uh, Wasatch County Utah and uh, apparently the snowmobile upended and landed on top of him and he was uh, later pronounced dead at the scene from uh, injuries that uh, he sustained I mean you know just incredibly sad and what an incredibly talented driver I mean if you look at any of the stuff that uh, that Ken Block did just crazy like after after it happened I just went and watched one of the posts uh, that uh, that he had uh, made um, it wasn't all that long ago I think it was maybe October or November something that he'd set up on the strip in Vegas and it was it was about 10 or 12 minutes long and it was it was it was just cool. I mean, watching that the way that he threw that car around and just the the situational awareness and the skill to be able to do what he did, just absolutely uh, mind blowing stuff. You know, so incredibly sad to him. So super super talented guy. Competed in skateboarding, snowboarding, motocross. He competed at some of the highest levels of of rallying and, and rallycross. He competed at the X Games. He was a co founder of DC Shoes, and at some point he exited that business. But then he invested he invested in his own business in Hoonigan Industries. And one of the things, and this isn't my personal thought, but I saw somebody else post about this recently. He did so much to mainstream and popularize motorsports through his Gymkhana racing series. So starting back in 2000, 2000, 2008, 2009, he started posting these beautifully choreographed stunt driving videos where he would take drift cars, whether they're Ford Fiestas or Subaru Impreza WRXs through these incredible, incredibly challenging rallycross courses. And they were beautiful and they were well done and they had stunning production qualities, but they mainstreamed motorsports in a period where motorsports weren't typically mainstream outside of the US South where NASCAR is big and some pockets globally where F1 was big. So I, I think his contributions to, to motorsport need to be well respected. And the other story I tagged on here as well is one that I didn't actually know about, but when he was competing in rally, one of his major sponsors was Pirelli. And around the time that Pirelli joined Formula One as uh, Michelin and Bridgestone, et cetera, Bridgestone, Michelin, um, and some other manufacturers exited. They they tried really hard to get him a Formula One test. Yeah. And curiously, they were apparently very close. He actually went to Toyota and did a seat fitting, but ultimately they couldn't proceed because he didn't fit in the car. <laughs> and it wasn't because he was it wasn't because he was too tall or it was that he was too big. It was just that the cars were designed for a couple of very very small drivers. I think y- y- Yarno Truly and yeah. I think Timo Glock may have been the drivers back then, but ultimately, no matter what they did, uh, his knees came up and prevented him from being able to move the steering wheel. So ever so close, we were ever so close to having a Ken Block test in a Formula One car, which would have been super, super cool. And apparently Pirelli can 
continued to press for some time afterwards to try and make sure this could happen and try to get other manufacturers on board with making it a, a reality. But ultimately, it was never to be. But yeah, very, very sad. And uh, he leaves uh, a family and a young teen daughter who uh, was following in his footsteps and most recently was building her own drift car, which yes. I think had just been yeah. finished a couple of days yeah. ago. Yeah, really yeah, yeah. I, I did see something recently about that. We were talking about that work uh, just uh, before the holiday. That uh, that's what they're up to. Yeah, just a really tragic. And uh, Formula One uh, world champion uh, Jensen Button uh, summed it up uh, very uh, nicely and very touchingly, saying, "Quote in shock at the passing of Ken Block, such a talent that did so much for our sport. He was a true visionary and with his own unique style and infectious smile. Our sport lost one of the best today, but more importantly, a great man." End quote. Yeah, very very tragic. And our obviously our condolences and thoughts uh, go to uh, the family of uh, Ken Block. Okay, why don't we, let's take a quick break here, uh, Hammy, we'll come back, uh, we'll move along. This uh, next one is something that uh, that we wanted to discuss, uh, but we didn't get around to it uh, last, uh, last show, so we'll do that in just a moment. Uh, we'll be right back in just a few moments, so don't go away. All right, welcome back. So, Hammy, I'm going to let uh, you take this one because uh, you 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 wanted to put it on the agenda last time, and then uh, we forgot about it, or I forgot about it. Um, but uh, th- this was just um, the the recent announcement that uh, the FIA is going to ban drivers uh, from making political statements without prior approval. So, anyways, uh, wh- why did you take it away? Because I know you're quite passionate about this one. Yeah. So this is a topic that I've laid in bed many nights thinking about and it's it's a very complex and bear with me it's a complex and fairly nuanced subject but as Nate Saunders writes for ESPN Formula 1 drivers will no longer be allowed to make political statements at race events without prior permission from the FIA Motor Racing's governing body has added a new article to its international sporting sporting code that outlaws quote unquote the general making and display of political religious and personal statements or comments, notably in violation of the general principle of neutrality promoted by the FIA, unless permission is given beforehand. And he continues, in recent years, drivers have taken the opportunity to make statements before and after races. Since the start of the 2020 season, Lewis Hamilton's often worn t-shirts carrying political slogans or messages. After winning the 2020 Tuscan Grand Prix, he wore a t-shirt saying, arrest the cops who killed Breonna Taylor on the front and say her name on the back. Um, And of course, Sebastian Vettel has been reprimanded for wearing a t-shirt with pride colors and the phrase same love ahead of last year's Hungary Grand Prix. And he and Hamilton have also worn pride colors on t-shirts and helmets at race events in the Middle East. And of course, last year at the Canadian Grand Prix, Sebastian Vettel also wore a shirt and a helmet design saying, Mm -hmm. stop mining tar sands, Canada's climate crime. So there's a couple ways to look at this, right? And I think right off the the bat, I'm just going to share my opinion that I think this is this is deeply, deeply unfortunate. And, and I think for me, as a, as a, I'd like to think, citizen of, of the globe who's been many places and tends to go many places and loves learning about people and culture, I'm also a big advocate for, for free speech. And I, I'm also a big advocate for people that have global platforms to leverage their platforms whenever possible to promote really worthy were the causes. Mm-hmm. And I think it's unfortunate that the FIA, and of course, I'll, I'll be cautious here because I don't believe that the FAA is doing this of their own mandate, that this is something that is probably being encouraged by Liberty Media and probably being encouraged by the teams. Um, I, I, I don't necessarily like that this is happening, but I think you also have to think about this through a couple of other lenses too, which is at the end of the day, 
they're leveraging their employer's platform to do this. So yeah. if I'm Formula One, these drivers are you basically doing this on shift during their paid time, right? Like if, if they're doing it on a Saturday, if they're doing it on Sunday on a race day, well, that's paid time. And if the teams are cool with that and they support it, that's fantastic. But at the same time, maybe they don't. And maybe they haven't wanted to say anything. So it's it's a fairly nuanced subject. And I'll be very honest, like last year at the Canadian Grand Prix, when when Sebastian Vettel showed up and he was wearing that Tar Sands t-shirt and that star, that Tar Sands helmet, it pissed me off. It made me really mad because I, I'm a proud Canadian and I'm proud of our energy industry. And I think, you know, ultimately the Tar Sands aren't necessarily the best way to extract oil from the earth. Mm -hmm. And it is a very, very, very problematic way of creating energy. But at the same time, in the sense of global security, we're better off using tar sands oil than we are getting oil out of Russia. So I, I, I kind of see it from all these different perspectives. Um, but ultimately, I, I, I'm just a big advocate for athletes having a platform and having a stage. But at the same time, if I'm the FIA and I'm the teams and I'm Liberty, do I want my message and my business product to be consistently hijacked and I say hijacked, quote unquote, do I want my product, do I want my messaging, and do I want my programming to be hijacked by drivers whose messaging may not appeal to our audience and may conflict with our sponsors? And, and that's probably a big part of this as well. Like yeah. last year, you and I talked about this when Sebastian Vettel showed up in Canada with that anti-Tar Sands messaging on, his helmet also bore the emblem of Aramco, which is arguably the biggest energy producer in the world. And they produce <laughs> energy by drilling oil out of the ground yep. and it would there was some hypocrisy there and all of that said i do have immense respect for 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 Sebastian Vettel. And to be honest, that was actually one of the takeaways that I had there, which is I can't sit here and be an advocate for the drivers using their platform to advocate for causes that are important to them and that get angry at one of them when his message isn't something I necessarily agree with, right? Like yeah. you either have to be supportive of all the messages or you can't have any messages. So at the end of the day, I think a lot of people are getting angry with the FIA and Will Buxton was absolutely railing on them on, on Twitter, which was nice to see because I don't think there's enough criticism of the governing body yep. um, for, for issues like this, especially since he was so supportive of the FIA last year when it came to the jewelry ban. But I also don't believe it was the FIA that's necessarily mandating this, that I think this was a purview that came down from the teams and, and from Liberty that they'd had enough. And they may have been hearing it from their sponsors, right? Like, I'm sure that when that oil sands message was happening on Sebastian's helmet last year, I'm sure Saudi Aramco was putting in a call to Aston Martin and they were putting in a call to to Liberty and the FIA saying, wait a minute, you know what, this is what we do. And this is who we are. Um, you, you can't have a driver advocating against the industry from which we extract wealth and we produce profit and that we operate in. So I, I, again, I've kind of rambled here again. My opinion is yeah. I like the drivers having a platform and I'm happy to have them having a platform. But at the same time, I also kind of get it from from the business because Formula One at the end of the day is a business. It's a private business. And the think the last message that I would have on this too, because this is something that occurred to me when I was lying in bed the other night, was that these drivers will often advocate or protest or try to elicit a conversation about some of the places that we go. 
And I think that's good. And I, I like I like that that elicits a conversation that I would sooner go and race in Saudi Arabia so we can all have a meaningful conversation about what that country is and what it stands for and who lives there and the opinions of the people there than just not go there at all. But at the same time, when it comes to some of these drivers, if you're going to meaningfully protest against the places that we're racing, you also can't cash your checks that are in large part being signed by racing in some of these places, if you know what I mean. Yeah, you know, it's funny too, because when I first uh, thought about this, the first thing that kind of like popped into my head was, oh, that's censorship, right? You know, it's like they're they're basically blocking them. But, you know, as as much as I respect uh, Vettel and Lewis and and for the very important uh, things that that they did bring and and highlight and showcase over the past uh, couple of years, I, I agree with everything that you said. And... I was also thinking that okay, so basically the issue is what uh, what you said right now is incongruent or conflicting messaging, right? And uh, the the Vettel and totally. the, the oil totally. sands one is is the perfect example. And then I couldn't also help that uh, help but feel that maybe that th- there was some also a bit of a proactive uh, react, you know, like measure to this, and and not proactive in the fact uh, that that. Uh, you know, with the with the issue of um, uh, you know Vettel and the tar sands and that conflicting messaging there, but I couldn't help but thinking that maybe at some point they're worried that somebody's going to come out and say something or support something very unpleasant or very very controversial, and that you know right now it's it's just like you know to to have like the um, you know the the Canada's climate crime and the tar sands thing and then have like the Saudi Aramco patches on the same helmet that Vettel had at let's just put it, it it's a PR awkwardness it's it's inconvenient it's it's very confusing messaging but and and I could see why that would be an issue for for other people and I mean if if Sebastian has that uh, that that opinion that's fine. That's his right to, to do so. But I couldn't help but think that perhaps they're concerned at some point somebody and I'm, you know, I'm not even going to speculate on, you know, what might be unpleasant, but maybe there's just some worry about that. And instead of, uh, say, uh, standing up like Lewis and Seb uh, wearing pride colors in the Middle East and stuff like that, you know, and and, you know, I, I think that's that that's fine. But at some point, I think they could be worried that somebody might just say something that nobody except some very extreme fringe might agree with or something so that that might kind of be a a bit of like worst case scenario but maybe it's just like you know if we let somebody say one thing and you know as as good as it is and you know as worthy it is to let them wear pride colors then you know like it's like if you let one thing go that's that you know, is such which should be like accepted and normal, like everywhere in this day and age. It's just like, well, if we let that go, then we kind of have to let people say whatever they want, kind of thing. And maybe that's what they're afraid is that they just like let it go too far, right? Yeah, you make a really, really great point. And, and the first thing that sprung to mind was Nikita Mazepan. Right. Nikita Mazepan and his dad were promptly exited from the sport in no small part because I think F1 wanted them gone. And I think they were very uncomfortable with an oligarch so close to Putin being involved with the sport. And of course, the invasion of Ukraine was a convenient opportunity to exit them from the sport. But yeah. if Nikita Mazepan was still racing, what's to say he wouldn't be advocating a pro pro Russia message on the grid right yeah. and I don't think anybody would be in agreement with that but how do you how do you suffocate that form of freedom of speech and expression when you don't necessarily do it for others that people maybe 
do agree with. And ultimately, the reality too is we don't know. So the messaging here from the FIA in the sporting, in the international, what was it? International sporting code, sorry, um, (laughs) was that quote unquote, the general making a display of political, religious, and personal statements or comments, notably in violation of the general principle of neutrality promoted by the FIA or banned, blah, 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 unless permission is given beforehand. We also don't know how, how, I would say broadly accepting the FIA is going to be right. Like it could just be a rubber stamping process that, yeah, absolutely. Like we want to advocate for all these great causes and mm-hmm. it, it helps broaden the appeal of the sport and all those kind of things. It's rubber stamping. They maybe just don't want to be surprised when somebody shows up on the podium wearing a t-shirt for, for a message that they weren't aware was going to be advocated for. Um, and to your point, like there could be fear that maybe somebody goes up there with a really offensive message that turns off 95% of the Formula One audience. And maybe they just want some overview of the messaging that's going yeah, to be shared. Yeah, yeah. And, but we don't, you'd we like don't to know think that, that yet. Like, like in, in this day and age, right, that if, uh, say, Lewis wants to wear pride colors, that, you know, it's like, this is what I want to do. And they're like, yeah, okay, no problem. Fine. Let's. The, it's it's something that doesn't even need really a second thought, right? But it's totally, just. I, totally. I think that's that's a great point that they don't want to be blindsided by something that you know, like like I say, maybe the best case scenario was maybe it's not even best case scenario, but the inconsistent messaging with the tar sands and then the, you know, like sponsors, right? Oil, big oil sponsors, or something you know, completely unpleasant that sort of comes out of nowhere that uh, that that everybody would be you know extremely offended by. So yeah, may, maybe. That's that's just it. They just don't want to be blindsided by something uh, that uh, could be a bad look for everyone, right? Totally. And I know, I know it sounds like I'm I'm waffling on this one a lot. And and I knew that having this conversation today, there was going to be an awful lot of people that were very much in agreement and were mm-hmm. very much um, not in agreement. I didn't think that there was a need or an opportunity to to address this. And I think ultimately. Some of the people paying the bills in Formula One, whether it's race sanctioning fees from race organizers or it's actual sponsors themselves, I think they probably pulled aside the leadership at Liberty and the FIA and said, look, you know what? Some of this messaging conflicts with who we are and what we do and what we believe in. And we're not comfortable pumping so much cash into Formula One if those messages are continuing to be to be shared from the drivers. And again, the the other thought too, because I was having this conversation with somebody earlier today and it was like, well, you know, the drivers still have huge platforms outside of the paddock and outside of being on the podium. They have huge social media followers yeah, and they yeah. have YouTube and they have all these other places where How many they followers can share- would Lewis have on Instagram, for example? Millions, absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. He probably yeah. gets far more impressions from social media than he does from the race. So ultimately- I, I think this is I think this is a shame. I, I wish that the FIA and the the Grand Prix Drivers Association could have partnered in on this and had a, co- a meaningful conversation about what this means, rather than just kind of dictating down the law. And maybe collaboratively, they could have come up with some sort of consensus or some sort of compromise on what this means and what the process looks like to get messaging approved. Mm-hmm. Because I, I get it, like a lot of the things that these drivers advocate for that we might take for granted or uh, might just take kind of like, hey, that's just the way it is in in our society. I get it that some of these things aren't necessarily the norm or aren't part of the culture of some of the places that we race, but I still think there's value in having conversations about, hey, why isn't that the norm? And why isn't this something that is supported or advocated for in certain places? And, you know, if we're going to have conversations about 
energy companies and the role of energy companies in the climate. Let's let's have an open and meaningful conversation about Saudi Aramco and what are they doing or how are they shifting their power base to to invest in renewables. And like when we go to a country like the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, like we all hear and we all know the negatives about that country that have built up over the last three or four or five decades of really strict authoritarian rule. Let's have a conversation about what it means to go there and what life looks like for people on the ground and is the country developing? And if it is, how mm-hmm. rapidly is it developing? And what are their cultural norms versus ours? Like, I just, I want to be able to have conversations about all of these things. And I fear that simply banning the messages restricts our ability to have some of those conversations. But at the end of the day, let's be very honest, this is a business and the sponsors and the race sanctioning fees pay these drivers salaries. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you just have to kind of uh, ask yourself, like, you know, it, it, would that be... If you w- walked into work wearing, uh, you know, a T-shirt, uh, you know, that was uh, expressing your own personal beliefs, you work for a big corporation, you know, would they appreciate that or tell you to, you know, maybe rethink what you're wearing or go home and change, right? Depending on on, on what the messaging is. But anyways, yeah, it's it, it can be a difficult one to kind of talk about because I don't, you know, I, I, I don't want to feel like we're sitting on the fence, but... It's it's a bit of a tricky one, but I I kind of see it from all sides again, right? Anyhow, yeah, I feel like I I've especially kind of sitting on the fence on this one because yeah, I've I've been such an advocate for so many of all of really all of the causes yeah, yeah, that yeah. that these that these drivers talk about, um, and so I just I hope it doesn't come across that I'm I'm in support of muzzling them. I just it's still a business, and and I think we have to be very considerate of where the money is that's pumping into the sports um, and and the role that they maybe have in the decision-making. But I also just want to be clear that I don't think the FIA is doing this in isolation. I think this is very much messaging that's probably collectively coming from the teams and from Formula One Liberty itself. I can't help but think that perhaps it's just a way to avoid like inconvenient situations like the, uh, the, the, you know, the Canada one, right? Because let's, let's just face it. I mean, most of the time you're going to get guys like Lewis and Seb standing up for and, and trying to express support for something you know quite worthy and 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 important right i mean the the sebastian tarsans thing that was you know a little bit it was confronting right i think that's the 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 word but i mean if there's somebody out there that intends to be a bad actor and uh, and 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 put out a message that uh, that is offensive to a lot of people they're not going to go through that process the formal process of approval i mean they're you know if they, if they want to go out and shock people they're going to go and do it i mean they're not going to go through the uh, you know the, the the process to to do it so it just uh, to me it just it it yeah yeah it's it's yeah I don't I don't know it's just another level of uh, bureaucracy right okay anyway yeah. so let's I I would yeah, I would sorry, just add ahead. one more piece sure um, I think we would love to hear the opinions of our audience yeah hundred percent what do you guys thoughts on this feel on it? yeah. Yeah, flip us an email, slide us a DM. I, I think we would love to continue this conversation and not just kind of oh, close the yeah, door and yeah. just say, "Hey, we're open to having this conversation. We we love we love opinions." And to be honest, I want to hear opinions from people everywhere, whether you're in Alabama or Texas or Alberta or Quebec or Ontario, Japan, um, the the Middle East, the Gulf countries, Japan. Like, love to hear your opinion because this ruling may be interpreted very different. Because I think in some mm-hmm. countries, I think they feel like a lot of the the messaging is kind of 
against them in some ways and it challenges their cultural norms. And sure. I think in other places, like we just think this is all great messaging and that these are, these are common sense things that we should all be talking about. But yeah, we'd love to hear the opinions of some folks. So uh, slide us a DM, send us an email, and we'll continue the conversation. Absolutely. Okay, let's take one final break. Still got a, a bunch of um, stories to get to and we'll do that in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back. And Mark, it doesn't uh, matter to seem what we talk about. The topic always comes back to Ferrari one way or another. Uh, anyhow, Ferrari recently were banned from a, a meeting of uh, Formula One power suppliers because they have not formally announced their intention to be part of the uh, 2026 rule cycle. And this uh, comes via RacingNews365.com. So there was a uh, October 15th, 2022 deadline for power unit suppliers to register for 2026 that was extended to the end of uh, november it kind of had a, a very sort of fluid kind of loosey-goosey kind of feel to it that uh, that deadline uh but by the end of the original deadline only audi formula racing uh along with uh, alpine sas honda racing corporation mercedes amg high performance powertrains and red bull powertrains had submitted their registrations um by the second one so the, the first deadline was only audi the rest uh, came on for the uh, the at the end of november because we talked about it at the time that it was it seemed a little bit odd that only one supplier had signed up at the time but just seemed that the the other ones i think they they just wanted some more time to kind of like digest and prepare things and get ready but uh so anyways it's a ferrari that uh, have not uh, signed up uh, in any shape way or form and uh, they've had some concerns about how red bull powertrains would be uh, uh, treated as a new supplier having all this access to you know the honda ip but it's you know it kind of goes back a little bit to, to this um the email from Layla that we were talking about at the beginning of the show but you know it's the thing was like they were going to kind of take this thing but then Honda basically said you know you're not going to take this IP and use it as a basis to design and build your own engines from 2026 onward. So if you want to do that, you're basically on your own. So kind of like roundabout, we've come back to the same discussion that we had about like 40 minutes ago. And, and here we are again. But anyway, so the, the IP uh, rights uh, were returned unused to Honda by uh, Red Bull powertrains after it uh, you know, became more clear that the companies were, are going to go their own ways after uh, 2024. So interesting that uh, they would be excluded from from this uh, meeting, Mark. What, what, what do you think? Is this going to motivate Ferrari to, I would say, get their act uh, together, but uh, finally decide what they want to do? I mean, ultimately, we all know we all know Ferrari is going to sign on, but I think the fact that they haven't is really yeah. what you just described, right? It's it's almost a protest against the fact that they feel that that Honda and Red Bull powertrains relationship is really problematic. Very much what we talked about earlier in the show in terms of that whole conspiracy theory that things just seem to have been too convenient for both sides that Honda exits but they don't exit and they keep supplying engines. And Red Bull, meanwhile, benefits from the fact that they got that engine freeze a year early so they could have that fully stocked, fully equipped uh, Honda power unit for the next four years. But in the meantime, they're also developing their engine while they also had in their possession the IP from Honda when they were supposed to build the power units that are actually being supplied from Tokyo. It's all very, very funny. So I feel like Ferrari's trying to make a statement here, but unless they've got some 
concrete evidence that there's some shenanigans happening between Honda and Red Bull. I don't think that this is any more than just a statement that they're trying to make publicly by by their absence in these meetings. But ultimately, they're going to sign up because it's it's incumbent upon them to do so. And it's it would be disadvantage. What is the word? Disadvantageous? Disadvantageous? Is I that a word? That's a word. It yeah, is yeah, now. We'll it is that. now. If we'll it was that, it it would be it would work against them not to participate in these meetings because these yeah. meetings are really forging what that power unit's going to be, and their absence is not helpful to them if they have certain perspectives, opinions on on how the new rule should be uh, should should be cemented. Yeah, definitely. And sticking with the Ferrari, they are facing a $55 billion hole in their budget after a, a split from two of their premium sponsors. One was crypto company Velas, and then uh, also uh, Snapdragon, which were two very prominent uh, sponsors on their cars uh, last year. The uh, the, the Velas deal was worth uh, rumored to be worth uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, $30 million per year. So uh, a source close to both of those uh, companies said that uh, Ferrari did not comply with the, the clauses that permitted Velas to create NFT images. And uh, Velas said it, it had to be the financial. So it, they were in financial breach of the, uh, the, the agreement. So there is, you know, <laughs> Apparently, legal action pending on both sides here. And then the deal with says Snapdragon uh, apparently was just uh, a mutual agreement uh, to, uh, to to split ways. So there's going to be a, a statement coming uh, shortly. But $55 billion, Hammy, that's a lot of money, even if you're Ferrari that already has all the money in the world, literally, to oh, work with. Y- you know, six years ago, I would have said this would be a problem, but I don't think they're going to have any issues backfilling. I-, I feel the Snapdragon deal was probably because Ferrari was probably asking too much and Snapdragon had opportunities with other teams. In yeah. terms of the NFT crypto piece, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit later, and I'll definitely be talking about it with Sam Cooper on Sunday. The sooner we, the sooner we s- scrape all of this crypto crap off of the F1 cars and and get it into the the history bin of time and get NFT out of the sport the better like to me NFT and cryptos uh, is a uh, it's it's cryptos uh, to uh, me hammy like it, it just feels seedier dodgier yeah. than the whole dot com thing from like 20 years ago you know yeah. it just it it just it 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 just feels less it just feels so much, you know, I, I don't even know what the word is. It just, it doesn't have a good feel about it compared to like the dot-com boom bust from, you know, early 2000s, 2020, right? To, yeah, 2000. Like it's it's really dirty and like you, yeah. you only need to dirty, look as yeah, far yeah, as, yeah. you only need to look as far as FTX and, and Mercedes and exactly. FTX, we yeah. I'll go into the, the kind of the, the details because I don't really totally understand them, even though finance is one of my things. But ultimately, <laughs> that that company goes belly up, and it was it was basically a huge mirage, and it was basically stealing billions of dollars from investors. But yep. yet, for companies like Mercedes, were willing to sign up to deals worth tens of millions of dollars, as was Formula One themselves. Actually, they signed up to a hundred million dollar deal with FTX. Mm-hmm. Like they sign up to these deals, but they're not doing their due diligence. Like if, if I'm Mercedes and I'm going to stick your logo on my car, like I'm going to do a deep dive and I'm going to send auditors to your office because I want to make sure that you are what you say you are and you're not basically just a giant scam or fraud. And and that's all, for all intents yeah, and purposes what FTX was. We, we, we've talked about this uh, before, Hammy. I mean, uh, surprisingly, Mercedes has not always done their due diligence 
intelligence when, when yeah, vetting sponsors, right? And great point. Which for me is shocking because, you know, Mercedes, like regardless if it's the racing team or the the, the car company, that this is a premium luxury brand. I mean, it's anything not Haas. that- It's not Haas. Precisely. And I, I mean, the thing is that anything that, that, that comes off that makes them look anything less than, you know, perfect is a real black mark on them. So there's been a, a couple, I would say, you know, rather significant, um, you know, missteps in the way that uh, they, they've had some sponsors or, or sponsorship deals and some of the names that have gone on the side of those cars. But it, it, it's not just a phenomena that's that that's limited to, to, to them. I mean, they're all over, you know, the cars on many many different teams and i i echo those uh, sentiments uh hammy i think the whole you know nft or sorry not nft thing but the whole crypto thing it, it's it's dodgy at uh you know at, at the best of times and i, I <laughs> you know when, when you think about like that whole ftx scandal and just the amount of money that was you know disappeared from investors to reappear in different places i mean that just it it to say it doesn't sit well with me is just a, an understatement that that people lost vast amount of monies or money and then it shows up in other places like in sponsorship deals and formula one it just you know like i say to say it's a, it's you know it doesn't sit well with me as an understatement of uh you know vast proportions okay so we'll move away from um cryptos let's talk about something that's a little bit more you know well we've talked about a couple of real heavy things now let's talk about something that's a little bit more fun to talk about a little bit lighter so aston martin uh, boss mike crack says that uh, their new factory will be a game changer now hammy is this true or is this just a, a phrase that gets uh, thrown out there a little bit uh, too much i i think that uh, this is going to be a big deal for them i mean this is you know to uh, use another perhaps overused uh, you know, phrase in, in Formula One space age, but uh, this is a fantastic facility that uh, Aston Martin are going to be going into very shortly. And it's desperately, desperately needed. It's important to remember that Aston Martin, for the most part, is still working out of the original Jordan factory that opened at Silverstone in 1991. And wow. we, we often think of the 90, early 90s as kind of being a the glory area for F1 and there being a lot of tobacco money. But in terms of technical technological development investment, it's nothing compared to what we have today. And that Jordan factory that they've been working out of for the last X number of years is an absolute shoebox, an absolute shoebox. So this is going to give the organization a, a lot of room to breathe, and it's going to allow them to do a lot more research and development and and part development and part construction within uh, within their own confines and be less reliant on on external contractors and 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 things like that. So I think this is super super exciting, super exciting. Yeah. And something that's also uh, super exciting is the recently retired uh, Ross Braun, who is uh, most recently the managing uh, director of, of motorsport uh, for Formula One, and uh, just a, a fellow that has an extremely impressive resume and a uh, list of accomplishments in, in the sport in many, many different roles, says that uh, despite the fact that uh, he's uh, stepping into retirement, his phone will always be on should uh, Formula One need any of his uh, help. So I think that, uh, that, that that's important. 
important. But I mean, if anybody deserves to walk away and enjoy retirement after making uh, the contributions to to the sport that anyone has, I think it's uh, it's Ross Braun. As as sad as I would be to see him not involved in some capacity in one way or another, I mean, he's put decades of his life into the sport. I mean, it's time to let him enjoy life and you know and none of the pressures of uh, Formula One that uh, go along uh, with it. Okay, so uh, Alpine is uh, suspecting bigger teams are hoarding staff under a budget cap loophole. Hammy, this is your kind of thing, budget caps and salary caps and things like that. So what's going on here? There you go. I, I caught you. I, I caught you off guard, didn't I? I moved ahead in the, no, in, in the, the no, show. No. Uh, the show outline. <laughs> oh no, it's it's all good. I was I was just reading for MotoGP corner because that's the most exciting part of my week when you let me talk about <laughs> when you let me when you let me talk about MotoGP a little bit. But Jamie Woodhouse over at PlanetF1.com had written a really great article, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna quote from it here. But Alpine principal Otmar Snafnauer says the bigger teams being Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull, are finding interesting ways to position their staff in a way that uses gray areas in the cost cap. And the the important takeaway here is we understand that while a lot of the smaller teams really had no impact in terms of their headcount, to get below the 145, $140 million cost cap, the bigger teams being Mercedes and Red Bull and Ferrari actually had to cut significant personnel to be able to operate in that cost cap. Because of course, the cost cap is basically all your operations minus uh, some of your merchandising, some, some of your travel, some of your hospitality, your three highest paid employees and your driver salaries. So that basically meant that anyone working in the factory, an engineer, a designer, somebody in the paint shop, they all count towards the cost cap. And for some of these bigger teams that maybe have a thousand people, they had to start letting people go to get under the cost cap. And what we do know is that Ferrari, for instance, was able to strategically position some of their staff from Marinello into the Haas office that happens to be adjacent to Marinello. But some of these other teams had to let people go. And this was a boon for some of the smaller teams because Mm -hmm. they were able to recruit and staff up on some of these people. But what Otmar is indicating here are that some of the teams are doing some interesting accounting gymnastics to keep people working that maybe shouldn't be there under the cost cap. And I'm going to read the article here a little bit further from, of course, uh, our good friend, Jamie Woodhouse. But it reads, um, for 2021, the budget limit was set at 145 provisionally dropping to 140 and 22, while in 2023, the base limit will be 135. All three of those teams that were forced to slash their budgets, but at Alpine, little work was needed in relation to the personnel to settle at cost cap level. However, Snapdower says the teams are no longer enjoying such advantage from their stability as the past biggest spenders are now finding ways that they can use their staff and roles that will not push them towards an overspend. And he says, when everyone's the right size, you lose that. You lose that a little bit, said Snafnauer. What some of the other big teams are now doing is they're looking to exploit or have a better understanding of where those loopholes or some organizational changes you can make to actually stuff more people under that budget cap. They're looking at, yeah, I got rid of 100 people, but now I want to hire back because under the budget cap, I was able to find spots for them where they either didn't count as a whole person or they do some marketing stuff or whatever it is in brackets here um, that doesn't count towards the cop or they work on a boat for some of the time. We're not there yet. I think they're already there. And that advantage of being right at the beginning does dissipate. So basically what he's saying is the teams let a lot of people go, but they're now finding curious ways of recruiting them back and hiring them because they're classifying them in ways that doesn't count under the cap. So for instance, a team may hire somebody to work on a project unrelated to F1 while really they're working on a Formula One project and working on the car itself. So again, that 
that's why the cost cap adjudication panel exists. And it's ultimately the role of FIA to sniff out these type of endeavors by the big teams. But we know how Formula One works and the big teams, the wealthy teams, they're always going to push the boundaries of, of what's allowable as per all of the set regulations, whether the technical regulations or the sporting regulations. Oh yeah, hundred uh, percent. You know, I, I was just uh, kind of like uh, joking to myself and, and thinking we were talking about. Well, maybe they become like really creative in the way that uh, they're accounting things like seven point eight million dollars that they had for like a balance sheet item for like post-it notes, or like four point three yeah. million dollars like on you know photocopy paper or like flowers or plants for the office or something like that. But yeah, certainly. I mean, they will always push the boundaries and try and <laughs> find you, loopholes can that they imagine can. You're hired at an office as a cactus. Your role is to, <laughs> you are tech, on the books, you're a cactus, but a cactus. we need you working in the wind tunnel. So what do you do? Do you get like some sort of like neoprene kind of like cactus <laughs> costume or something yep. down there? It's yep. like, I'm a cactus. So when the, when the FIA comes to visit, you stand in the corner <laughs> in a pot. Yeah, that's it exactly. I would put it past them. I mean, we've seen weirder. Th- well, maybe not weirder things, but we've seen creative ways to get yeah, around yeah. the rules in Formula One in the past. Uh, anyways, Hammy, I'm not going to stop the show here right now. You've been so patient uh, with the uh, you know your your MotoGP corner. So why did you do that right now before you know be- before I forget and yeah and, and yeah cut I'll, you I'll off be again. super quick. I'll be super. You don't quick. have and to I, be. You don't have I to. I think be. I think by the way I did send you the MotoGP jingle via email a couple of weeks ago. So hopefully we can get that loaded into the show because it's not MotoGP without the custom Hamilton produced MotoGP corner. But just a couple exactly. of stories this week. The first is that Mark Marquez is open to a Honda exit if, and I quote, I don't have the tools to win a MotoGP title. So of course, this is the team Honda that he entered MotoGP with in 2013. He won a title in 2013. He won the title there in 2014, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. He has been a powerhouse and that that Repsol Honda partnership has been exceptional. Of course, Honda has absolutely stood by his side the last couple of years as he suffered from, of course, that arm break and the rehabilitation and the multiple surgeries. And he acknowledges in this article that they have been fantastic and they've supported him as they should. He's a six-time championship and he's been an absolute financial windfall for them. But he's also stating very clearly that if he doesn't feel that they can deliver a championship winning bike, he's open to exploring other opportunities, whether that's potential with, and he doesn't say this, this is me kind of reading into that, but whether that's KTM or Takati or any of the other teams on the grid. And then the other one is the MotoGP's CEO believes that Formula One's huge boom in popularity could help MotoGP. And as hmm. much as I love MotoGP, I'll be the first to acknowledge that global interest in the sport outside of some developing markets is crashing. And a big reason for that is For the better part of two decades, the popularity of the sport really rose and fell on the presence of Valentino Rossi, that Rossi was such a huge transcendent talent in this sport that he very much carried it on his back. And I'm absolutely, we talk about there being drive to survive converts, that people that came in, that came into Formula One because of drive to survive. I came into MotoGP because of Valentino Rossi and I loved his energy and his personality. And I 
was such a huge fan and I loved every second of the 2015 and the 2016 championship. And I can relive all of the emotions having watched some of those races, including Malaysia at the end of 2015 and, and the fallout and all the issues with race control and the fact that he got the pen, like blah, 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 blah. All of that to say, Formula One is crushing MotoGP from a popularity and a viewership perspective, and MotoGP is really struggling. So the chief, Carmelo Espelada, believes that F1's popularity boom can also help Grand Prix motorcycle racing, stating that recently F1 was in trouble and we were the best of the best. And in my opinion, from a pure spectacle perspective, in terms of the quality of racing and the competitive balance and all those things, MotoGP is still the king, but you need more than great racing sometimes to be able to create a great product. And that means teams on the grid, that means exciting championships, and that means stars that can transcend the sport. And I think that's really where the sport is probably struggling right now is that they've got some exceptionally talented riders, but they don't have a Valentino Rossi. And I think it's really hurt them the last couple of years where the hair apparent to MotoGP when Rossi retired and Mark Marquez, he suffered that injury and he spent the better part of two years on the sidelines. So I think it's going to be really interesting to watch in 2023 where this championship's going to rate switch to a 21 race calendar, which is the longest that MotoGP has ever had. They're going to have a sprint race, a half points, half distance sprint race every single weekend. And of course, Mark Marquez should be back and fully healthy. And hopefully that Honda bike is really, really capable because MotoGP needs a big season and they need to win back some of those fans because attendance at some of the traditional venues, including Silverstone has really crashed the last couple of years. So here's the MotoGP finding a way to regain some of uh, the popularity it's lost over the last couple of years yeah yeah very very interesting what else do you have in uh, MotoGP uh, that's, corners? It. That, that, that's it yeah that's it oh I did I, I give you the time and then you rush <laughs> through it with a only one one or two quick stories you know you use the time my friend but all good we're we're coming to the end it's just like it seems uh, whatever we do to plan out a show it, it always seems to come out at almost the exact same time uh, each and every week I don't know I, I don't know how that happens Hammy. it's just it's just a built-in time scale factor or whatever you want to call it that we we just have you know between the two of us anyways Thank you all very much uh, for tuning in again uh, for, for the this week. Hammy, before we go, why don't you remind everybody? If of- you like what we do <laughs> and you listen on Spotify, please give us a rating. It means the world to us. And if you listen on Apple and you'd like to give us a rating and a review, it means the world. I don't think we've seen one in a couple of weeks, which is, again, it was the holidays. People have been listening as much as they do. But if you'd like to give us a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform, it means the world to us. And if you ever want to reach out with ideas or, or feedback, good or bad, um, just know that we're always open. And I had a couple of people reach out with some feedback about my opinions on COVID last week. And I think I'd made some comments about North America having reached herd immunity, which obviously isn't the case. Um, I just, I like to think we've moved beyond the pandemic stage and we're not there yet. So that was, uh, that was good, humbling feedback. But again, if you want to reach out, slide into our DM, send us an email at the f one pod at gmail.com email. We're always eager to hear from our listeners, no matter where you are. You know what? Uh, we, we did get one over the holiday here. I'm just going to read it. It's from uh, Pigtail Ultra Runner in the uh, the USA. And uh, their review is, I listen to a lot of F1 podcasts, and this is one of the only ones where I don't talk back 
in quotes, yell at the host endeavor, <laughs> skip through sections or skip altogether. I love the flow of the podcast. And even when they get a little bit sidetracked, ooh, they know us pretty good here. <laughs> we do get to, uh, you know, occasionally sidetracked. Uh, they pull it back uh, quickly, informative and fun. Thanks. So that's awesome. Thank you very much. That came in on Boxing Day. So that was a night, uh, nice late uh, Christmas uh, present uh, for us. Anyways, right. uh, before we go, if you want to get in touch, uh, you can slide into our DM- DMs on uh, Twitter at ScooterF1Pod or send us an email at scooteryf1pod at gmail.com thanks everybody for listening thank you for all of you uh in the uh the, the chat on the live stream on youtube guys have a great weekend we'll be back soon and next time we'll be even closer to the car reveals and the start of the season and the latest drop of drive to survive all that good stuff have a great weekend talk to you soon bye for now